Over at the seminary in the dining hall, some of you may have seen, is an enormous mural. It fills up almost one of the entire walls. And the painting is a scene from Jerusalem, probably right in front of the temple. And there's a crowd of people and your eye is drawn to the center because there's several men and women down on their hands and knees and their, their faces right up against the pavement. And the title of that painting is Jesus Passed By. Jesus Passed By. Now, I feel compelled to tell you that generations of irreverent seminarians have named that painting, I Lost My Contact Lens. <laughs> but it is impressive when you stand there because it's enormous and you start thinking about it. I mean, imagine Jesus had passed by. And they're so changed by the event that they're down there, they're looking at the very stones that he walked over. I often think of that when I read about the Canaanite woman. It's a famous gospel, obviously, we had today. That sense of, do you know when Jesus passed by? But in some sense, I hold her in higher regard than the guys in the painting because in the painting, it's past tense. You don't see Jesus in the painting. You don't see his robes trailing off into the distance. He's gone. And they are somehow awestruck by the fact that he was right there. The Canaanite woman is present tense. She knows that he's coming. She knows who he is. She knows what he can do. She knows something about him. She's not an Israelite, and Matthew is very clear about that from Tyre and Sidon. It was a fun, hot summer night activity. When you go home, pull your phone out, look up Tyre and Sidon, way up there in the north, but not Israel. She's not a daughter of Abraham, and yet she knows that Jesus is coming. And she knows not that he passed by, but she knows when he is passing by. And of course, very famously, at that moment, she acts. And so I'd simply like to suggest that in the Christian spiritual life, what she models are probably the two greatest qualities you or I can have. And it's no small thing that the two greatest qualities of the Christian spiritual life are modeled by a non never mind non-Christian, non-Israelite. And I would name those two qualities as her perception and her boldness. The ability to perceive and then the ability to boldly act. And those two things have to go together. There are plenty of perceptive people who are timid, right? And they just kind of sit back in the shadows. Their hearts may be longing or aching to do something if only they had the courage and then the moment passes by. And there are plenty of bold people who are clueless, right? They're not perceptive at all. They're more than willing to jump into the fray because that's what they do and that's how they get noticed and that's how they get things done. But usually they're like bulls in china shops. And so maybe they're there in the crowd wrestling, pushing everyone else aside but they're pushing the wrong crowd and they're looking the wrong way and Jesus goes by somewhere else and the moment is lost. So there's something about this Canaanite woman 
She's so perceptive. She knows that Jesus is coming. She knows something about him, and she knows when he's right there at that moment, and at that moment, her boldness comes to the fore. And she simply engages him. And the boldness, of course, goes all the way into the conversation. They have this back and forth, give and take, and don't expect me to give you some simple explanation for why Jesus says what he says. One of the reasons I love scripture is that there's no answer at the back of the book. And if you're saying, well, why did he say that thing about the dogs? Don't let anyone tell you, well, that's easy to explain. But I don't think Jesus hated this woman. And I don't think he wanted her to ignore his presence. And her perception and her boldness at that moment beautifully come to the fore. But I'd like to suggest that there is a way to get her qualities. It's not as if she just won the lottery and for some reason that's who she is. We can't just decide to be more perceptive. We can't just decide to be more bold. That's why grace matters. If we simply rely on our human efforts, yeah, we can get kind of clever in some things. We can sharpen our skill set. We can take assertiveness classes and read self-help books and maybe get a little bit bolder. But that's not what we're talking about here. Grace matters. If we open our hearts to it, this is a difference that our faith can make. But I do think we can render ourselves a little more receptive. We can put ourselves in a frame of mind so that that grace works a little bit more effectively in us. And so notice, what is the focus of this woman's life? And it's probably been the focus for a long, long time. It's her love for her daughter. And in particular, her love for her daughter who is suffering, right? She says she's been possessed by a demon for many years, whatever that fully means. But there's that woundedness in her own heart as a mother. Now, there's lots of different ways we can react to those things that hurt us interiorly, right? And think of how they can render us unperceptive. We become bitter. We become nasty. We become resentful. We become angry. Why is this thing happening? Maybe it is what we feel about someone we love who's struggling with something, an addiction, they've lost their job, poor health, whatever it might be. And as we think about that situation, or maybe it's interior to us, an opportunity that we let slide by, something that we said that we've always regretted, somebody who's hurt us and we can't let it go, all of those inner hurts have a way, if we let them, to make us very unperceptive, right? Our hearts become hardened, our minds get clouded over, and whenever we see that person, we don't see them, we stop thinking rationally. Whenever we think about that thing that we're wrestling with interiorly, maybe we're shut down by sadness or grief, and there's no sense of hope at all, those interior wounds can make us very unperceptive. And they can also make us very timid, right? Why bother? Why bother? Look, nothing's changed. You can imagine the Canaanite woman saying, my daughter's had this thing for years. Okay, Jesus schmeezes. This guy's supposed to be so great. Nothing has worked. Or it can make us almost reckless in our boldness. 
something, something. I'll try anything. I'll spend all my money on this. I'll go there. I'll reach out to this person. And we notice every, every possible solution except the one that's right there in front of us. And if there's an invitation to change our own hearts, we often miss it if we're so caught up in, I've got to solve this problem. And so those interior hurts or wounds that we carry can make us anything but bold in the right sort of way. And for this extraordinary woman, this daughter of Canaan, it all comes together so powerfully because she's let that interior ache, that love for her daughter, she's let it sharpen her perceptivity, her perceptiveness. She's allowed her to be open and receptive. I've heard something about this guy. I'm not just listening to rumors. There's something here that he brings, and I want to avail myself of it. Now, for her, she needs the guy himself, just like the people in the painting over at Mundelein. They need the guy himself, Jesus in the flesh. He's either there or he's not, and when he passes by, too bad for you. She lived on her side of the resurrection. We live on our side of it. We don't need the guy to be walking down the street. And the lesson of the gospel is Jesus is always passing by. That opportunity is never lost forever. All we have to do is let our hearts be receptive. And so as a little spiritual exercise maybe in this otherwise not terribly amazing 20th week of ordinary time in the church, as a spiritual exercise, maybe with brutal honesty, just say, what's that, what's that interior wound or hurt that I have? What's my daughter who's been wrestling with a demon for many years? What's that thing that maybe has made me a little bit less perceptive, has clouded my vision, has shut me down with a sense of bitterness or resentment? And then realize it doesn't have to be used in that way. It really could be a threshold to a very different way of seeing the world. If we can have the humility to say, you know, I don't have to be resentful. I don't have to feel despair. There really can be a new way of looking at this. Maybe my heart becomes more generous. Maybe it becomes more forgiving. Maybe I become more aware of the sensitivity and needs of others around me. But I promise if we can allow our hearts to begin to change in that way, we suddenly become much more perceptive of where is God in our midst. And there's a boldness that grows up that isn't just simply ego-driven, I can do this, but it's a boldness that says, Lord, I know you are here. Even if I didn't know it yesterday, even if I was blind to it five years ago, I know you are here in my midst. And we don't have to be like the guys in the painting, simply regretting the fact that the opportunity came and went. We can be like that Canaanite woman every moment of our lives. And before you go to bed tonight, Jesus will be passing by. And you and I, no matter where we are, will have the opportunity to be just a little bit more perceptive and a little bit more bold if we take the opportunity as it's there before us.